Will you pray with me this morning? Oh, holy God, we enter into your presence this morning, bringing all that we have with us. We seek to leave our cares at the door. We pray that the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth might be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I got my first name change when I was 21. I, uh, that was on the day that I said I do to Mr. Kelly Wade. And I went from being Hoyt to Wade. Now, not all women nowadays take their husband's name, has been the custom for a while, and some couples actually share each other's names. I have a couple friend who are now um, um, Billy and Laura Echtels Richter. They put their names together. Both of them share both names. I got my favorite name change, however, at about the age of 48 from my very first grandson, and that was the name of Moku, right? Those are the best names. That's my favorite name change of all time, Moku. So some grandparents get to pick their name. I did not. Mine was bestowed upon me by that first grandson. Kelly got to pick his name, Papa, and his sister-in-law got to pick her grandma name, Honey. And so traditions go on. Some of us, in some traditions, receive our name originally at a christening or a, some kind of baptism when we're just a few days old and we are, we are christened or baptized into that name. Others of us receive a new name through baptism, like our United Methodist tradition. When we are baptized, we are baptized with a new name, and that is the name of Christian, as we are initiated into the to Jesus' holy church. There are other religious ceremonies in which people receive new names. When a nun uh, takes her vows, uh, she takes on a new name, as do many priests. They take on a new name. And sometimes at a coronation, a king or a queen will take on a new name as well. The biblical narrative is filled with characters who have received a new name, each signifying a new purpose in their life. First, Jacob becomes Israel, uh, through whom God will build an entire nation. And then we also know the story of Simon, who becomes Peter, which means rock upon uh, which Christ will build his holy church. It is in today's text that we meet Abram and Sarai, and they receive new names. Both of these new names signify the fullness of their trust in God, but also their permanence in the relationship with God. It was Abraham at age 75 when he hears from God. God tells him, Abraham, I want you to take your family and go to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great, and I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to many people. And in faith, Abraham went with no roadmap, with no promises of what tomorrow would bring, but leaning into the faith that God would show him the way. 
And then again, at age 86, Abram uh, hears from God again in a vision. And this time, he tells God, you have given me no children, and so the slaves born into my household will be my heir. He complains a little bit. And God says to him, your offspring will be as numerous as the sky. And shortly after that, Ishmael is born to him, not by Sarai, but by his hand, her handmaiden, Hagar. Abram, nonetheless, lives on in trust that God knows exactly what God is about and that God has a plan. And then at age 99, Abram hears from God again, and that's the story we will read this morning. It's found in Genesis, the 17th chapter, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and 15 to 16. Listen now for what God tells us in this ancient holy story of Abram and Sarai. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then he continues and he tells him this. God says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her new name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for this season of Lent, we take on practices of selflessness and sacrifice, and we give up something in order that we might fill that empty void with something more significant in our relationship with God. And we anticipate coming into that passion, that holy week, the passion of Christ, and, and the promise and the excitement and the, and the um, wonder of the resurrection story on Easter morning. This worship series is called Declutter. We, I, we called it Declutter because we want to acknowledge that we desire to declutter our hearts of all that gets in our way of having a good relationship with God. We call it Decluttered because we want to receive the promises that God has given to us. Throughout all of the biblical narrative, throughout all of the salvation story, we hear these promises time and time again. And then the final promise, the promise through Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, we want to lean into that. 
our year, our church year, is filled with a couple of seasons of waiting, of this, this time in which we prepare. There's the Advent season, a four-week season in which we're pre- preparing for the birth of the Christ, a time in which we, we lean into acknowledging that we need something more than ourselves to make the world right. And then there's the Lenten season, a season of 40 days or six weeks. It's a long journey because in that time, we find ourselves challenged to examine our own covenant with God. And while we often fall short in this covenant, we try to deepen our commitment to God during this season, moving towards developing lifestyles that will transform us, that will make our Christian life fruitful and worthy of living and worthy of sharing with others. Well, Abram and Sarah, we wait a whole lot longer than 40 days or six weeks. In fact, they have waited for 24 years from the time that God called Abram to leave his land of Ur and go to some place that Abram had no knowledge of until the day that God changes his name from Abram to Abraham is 24 years. Now, Abram and Sarai are not flawless. They live and they bump along, they make mistakes, and yet they remain faithful to God's promise throughout all of those 24 years. For 24 years, there is no evidence that they are going to be a parent of a child. They enter into this this promise with God in their uh, sunset years, if you will, well beyond the time of childbearing. And so when it seems as though there is no child, much less no nation, to continue in their relationship, they continue in their relationship with God and one another anyway. They lean into it, faith and trust. And in the years to come, after God renames Abram, what happens is amazing. Abram gives Fourth, three distinct religions because of his faithfulness and trust in God. Abram is the grandfather of all three, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, through his son Ishmael. The grandmothers, well, they're different. Sarai is the grandmother of of the uh, Jewish people. And Mary is the mother of Jesus. And Hagar is the mother of Islam, grandmother. But their covenant, their covenant as they trace back their heritage, whether you're Christian or Jewish or Islam, Muslim, you trace that covenant back to the same covenant. And that is, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. But there is a condition on this covenant which everyone claims. God says, walk before me and be blameless. Now this is the second time in the Genesis text that we see this word blameless. The other time is with Noah. Noah was not perfect, but of all the people in the world, God saw that he was blameless in the sight of the Lord, and so he claimed him as good enough upon which to save all humanity. 
and Abram, he's asking him to be blameless. He's asking him to not only live in faith and trust, but to, be, to walk blamelessly so that the seed of Abram would give forth three distinct nations and a blessing to all the nations beyond those three. He says, walk before me. When he talks to Noah, when God talks to Noah, he says, walk with me. So what is the difference between walk before and walk with? I think it's because he asks Abram to do the thing that, that makes him display God's love and faith for the nations. He asks him to be that representative of this covenant between God and God's people. Abram had to walk a long time without any set of directions. God didn't say, okay, look, next week you're going to get up and you're going to take, uh, uh, you're going to go north for five miles and then head east. God just says, go, and I will lead you. He has no directions. He has no vision of what the land is that God has in mind for him. And he has no knowledge of this family that God is going to provide that will make him numerous and, 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 and have the nations come from. So his walk before, he has to walk before he has all these answers. Now, I have to tell you, I had to think about that. I had to sit and think about that. Now, how would I be? Because I'm a planner. I'm a planner, and believe me. So when we get ready to go on a trip, I not only have everything on a checklist of what we need to get in the car and what order they need to go in, but also I have the map all planned out, right? I'm that kind, I'm that person, right? Kelly can tell you I'm that person. So to lean into this understanding, this God who says, now throw all that aside and just follow me. I have to say, I admire Abram and Sarai. It's the kind of faith that requires a willingness to lose everything in order to gain a deep love for God and for one another. So let's think about what Abram loses. He loses the land. He has to leave his family's land, the land of Ur. At some point along that journey, he loses his security as he finds himself in trouble with the Pharaoh of Egypt and has to get himself out of a pickle. And then, finally, he loses his name. But he receives a new name, a new land, and a new security because of his faithfulness. And God gives him a new purpose. When God talks to Abram, he says, I am God Almighty. When I read that scripture, I added the Hebrew name El Shaddai. That is the first time we see El Shaddai in the scripture. It is Hebrew for God Almighty or God of the mountain. Ultimately, it gets translated over time to Yahweh, the name that is so sacred that for many generations people never said the name. So when God approaches Abram, he's no longer God. He's, I am the Almighty. He takes on a name for himself. And then he says to Abram, which once meant exalted father, you are to be called Abraham, 
the father of many, the father of Judaism and Christianity and Islam. And then he says to Sarai, who once meant contentious and quarrelsome, that her name would be changed to Sarah, princess, from whom kings would come, including the King David, who established the city of David, from which Jesus came as well. God gives them these new names and a new purpose and makes a new covenant with them. God essentially says, I, El Shaddai, I, God Almighty, take thee, Abraham and Sarah, to be your God, and you will be my people. If this opens the covenants in Genesis, it also closes the covenant in Revelation in our biblical narrative. The writer of Revelation in the 21st chapter gives us that ultimate promise. When, when, uh, when the writer sees God, he hears this voice, and the voice says, Behold, God has made his home among mortals. He has promised to be their people, and they will, they will be his people, and he will be their God. So as I thought, sat and thought about this this week, I realized there is some challenges in that. Not only to live into the promise that God is our God and we are God's people, but if we are truly to walk before God in faith so that others can see us as the one who stays the course even, even when we don't have a map to tomorrow then I have to ask myself a couple of questions. What kind of faith is required of me to trust in a God that way? Upon what is that relationship dependent? What kinds of things do I have to attend to in order to keep that relationship open and trusting? What kind of concrete practices must I do to keep myself vulnerable to God, open to receive God's direction. And then I wonder, if God were to give me a new name, if God were to give you a new name, what would that new name be? And what would be that purpose? Would it require us to walk before God in faith? In the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.